beautiful poem. Uh, this is setting the tone for the sermon. Let's bow our heads for an opening prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the beauty of the day, even for the rain, because we know that plants do need rain, but we also need your rain, the rain of the Spirit. And so he would refresh us, change us. He would mold us. He would build a character within us. So, Lord, as we open your word this morning, we ask you to bless us and lead our minds and thoughts. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. I'd like to start out with a a real life story. Some time ago, we had a a meeting, uh, Martha, myself, and a friend, And we talked about worship. And this gentleman was really curious to know why we worship on the seventh day. And so we said that this is because of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and the Ten Commandments. And we understand that this is biblical and it has never changed. To our surprise, this man responded and he said that whenever I talk about God to anyone, that's my worship time. If it happens on a Monday, then the Monday is my worship day. If it happens on a Thursday or Sunday or any other day of the week, he said, Any day of the week can be my worship time. And if I stop somewhere on the road and talk to somebody or at the parking lot or a bus station, wherever, that's my place of worship. So he said, I can choose when and where I would have my worship time and place. What do you think about that? Is it something we can choose? Do you have a mindset and we arrange everything according to our own mindset? Well, I have a few questions before I turn to the Word of God. Question number one is, why is it so important or crucial what we think? Second is, how should we approach the Bible? Number three, what principles should we follow when interpreting the Bible? And number four is, How can we stand through the last great conflict? These words are quoted from uh, the Great Controversy, page 593 and 594. And I'd like to read a few sentences of of, of those pages. So this is by Ellen White, the the Great Controversy, pages 5. 9, 3, and 5, 9, 4. And it says, None but those who have fortified the mind with the truth of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. Fortified the mind with the truth of the Bible. So we need to put aside our own mindset and then really understand that we have to be fortified or my mind should be fortified by the truth of the Bible. 
And she continues on saying that to every soul will come the searching test. Shall I obey God rather than man? The decisive hour is even now at hand. Are our feet planted on the rock of God's immutable word? Are we prepared to stand firm in defense of the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus? Are you taking time to fortify, fortify your own mind by the truth of the Bible? And it goes back, this whole question goes back to the lecture which was given by Linda Kavanagh. If you remember that old lady who visited our church a few weeks ago, she gave an excellent lecture on the brain, how the brain is working, how the thinking process is is going on. And to be honest, she inspired me. And... Um, I decided that I would choose a few Bible verses in the next few weeks and to preach about thinking. So last time we took a passage from the Gospel of Matthew and today I'm taking another passage from the same Gospel and hopefully in two weeks or so I can move on to Mark and then Luke and maybe John because as I've been studying those four Gospels, I discovered something that there is a unique perspective in each of those Gospels. And it seems to me that Matthew was very much interested in the way how people think, how his people in the time of Jesus were thinking. And so I'd like to invite you to to turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. And this is a very, very interesting passage. To be honest, this was the last discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 22 and then verses 41 to 46. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think? They were the great thinkers of his time. So he said, what do you think about the Christ? Christ was asking them, what do you think about the Christ? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> he was right there. They, they heard him. They, they saw him. They could touch him. And he healed. He, he was teaching. He was preaching. And then, this is close to the end of his ministry. So he was asking them, what do you think about the Christ? Second question, whose son is he? What was the mindset? They said to him, the son of David. Then let's look at the, the closing part of this dialogue. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, and then he is quoting Psalm 110 and verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Till I make your enemies your footstool. They were experts on the law and on the prophets. And then the last closing sentence is very interesting. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And the result of this last question was, no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day on did anyone dare question him 
anymore. What is this? What was this? These people were experts. They were the scholars. They had the knowledge of the scriptures. And of course, when Jesus was quoting Psalm 1 and verse 1, in their mind, the rest of that song came back. They knew everything by heart. But they had a very strange mindset. Which was based on a misunderstanding. So responding to the question of Jesus, they said, Christ, he is going to be the son of David. Was this answer good? Partially good? While Jesus wanted to lead them to do a little more research. And so that's why he quoted Psalm 110 verse 1 and he said, How is it then? If the Christ is the son of David, why did David call him Lord? Because a son could call his father Lord. But the father would never call his son Lord. So there was a kind of, let's say, confusion. Was Jesus really planning to create some confusion? <laughs> I, I don't think so. He wanted to test the way of thinking. And so these people thought, we know everything. And um, we don't need a teacher. We know we, we can respond right away. I remember once I visited a, a church member and that person did not come to the Sabbath school part of the worship. And so I was asking him, why don't you attend that part of the worship service? He said, because I will not learn anything new. I know everything, he said. So I I don't feel it is necessary to attend that part because I will not learn anything else. Then I told him, if you know everything, why don't you come and teach us? Why, why don't you come to that part of the service and you would stand up and teach everybody because you know everything. He was quiet. But that shows me a situation when somebody's mindset is so firm that it is almost impossible to change it. Unless you ask a good question. So Jesus asked the good question. What was this question? He said, If David then calls him Lord... How is he his son? Well, let's go back to the quotation. To Psalm 110. Because Jesus was quoting that psalm. And uh, he's been trying to help these people, these scholars, to have a wider perspective. And so if you go to Psalm 110, I'm reading verses 1 and then 4. This is not a long, a long psalm, Psalm of David. 110, I'm reading verses 1 and then just verse 4. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This is the picture of enthronement. And in verse 4, The Lord has 
sworn, sworn, and will not relent. You are a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Which is very interesting in one psalm because it gives us a picture of the king, at the same time a picture of the priest. And in the history of Israel, these two offices were never combined. There was always the priest or the high priest, and there was the king. And they were very keen on separating the two. And of course we know that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, which was not the priestly tribe, but every Jew, every every Pharisee, who called themselves separated from the rest. They knew this song by heart. It has only seven verses. It was easy to memorize. So in their mind it should have come verse 4. Verse 1 is about the king. Verse 4 is about the priest. But not according to the order of Levi or the tribe of Levi, but according to the order of Melchizedek. Of course, they would require another further study to find out who Melchizedek was. And we are so blessed that we have the New Testament now. And if you are curious about Melchizedek, you go to Hebrews and start reading verse uh, chapter 6, 7 and maybe 8 and 9, and you will have a good picture of who Melchizedek was and why Christ is our high priest. But coming back to the the original question, it was a messianic prophecy, Psalm 110, about the king-priest, And then the Jews were practically focusing on one side of the coin. About the king. They were thinking about the king. And of course, in their mind, the greatest king was was David. A man according to God's own heart. So the Messiah should be a descendant of David. But they left out the other half of the psalm. So they did not think about being a priest in the king in one person. And of course, and we need to go back to Matthew for a little bit, going back to Matthew chapter 16. There was another occasion when Jesus was curious about what people think of him. So let's go back, just turning a few pages, back from chapter 22 to 16. And this is, this is Matthew 16. And I'm reading verses 13 to 17. This is Matthew 16, verses 13 to 17. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? What was the phrase Jesus used to designate himself? He did not use the term Son of God, but he used instead Son of Man. That was taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 7 and uh, verse 13. He he loved that phrase. He identified with the phrase. In a few occasions, he used the term son of God, but in most cases, it seems that he loved this term son of man. And so Jesus asked 
not the Pharisees at this time, but his disciples, um, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? The answer? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What do you think about that? Within Judaism, they had different opinions. Some said, John the Baptist. He came back from the dead. Some said, Elijah, Elijah is coming with the new Messiah. Others said, Jeremiah, he was a great prophet, prophet of suffering, so he would comfort the new Messiah. And others said, just one of the prophets. But Jesus was not satisfied with this answer. He continued on, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So a variety of opinions... A variety of mindsets, at least five. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, a prophet. And then finally, number five is, you are the son of the living God. What made the difference for Peter? Well, he needed more than human wisdom. So Jesus said that you are blessed because my Father who is in heaven revealed it to you. Think about that. That we can make a conclusion here. Another conclusion, but at least one lesson. Is that in order to understand scriptures, what do we need? We need a personal revelation. Without that personal revelation from heaven, we would be left in in darkness because we would just guess. Some said, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But Jesus said, this is a very special interpretation. This is the right one because you have connection with heaven and my heavenly Father revealed it to you. And you you know, whenever you understand the Bible in the right way, you always have some kind of revelation from God. Because human wisdom or human knowledge or human thinking could be misleading. The only point that could take us to a special mindset. And so Jesus said, you are, you are blessed. This is a special blessing because it's part of God's revelation. But there was another occasion. It seems that uh, Matthew was very keen on collecting this information. Very interesting. If you turn a couple of pages to Matthew 20 now. Matthew 20 and then 21. I'm reading from uh, chapter 20, verses 29 to 34. This is Matthew 20, chapter 20, and verses 29 to 34. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and behold, two blind men sitting by the road, When they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, 
Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. What did they say? Lord. They used the term Lord and son of David. Same time. Then the multitude warned them and they, that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Very interesting. How did these two blind men combine Lord and Son? The scholars could not. The scholars were puzzled when Jesus said, How is it that David is calling him Lord, although it's supposed to be his son? And these two blind men had more knowledge. Interestingly enough, they had more understanding of reality. And so they said, Lord, help us. We know you are the son of David. And there was a a third story. Just go to the next chapter. And this is 21, Matthew 21 and verses 6. 6 through 11. Matthew 21, verses 6 to 11. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitudes said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. What was their mindset? Hosanna to the son of David. He is coming in the name of the Lord. Interestingly enough, they did not combine the two. If you remember the two blind men, they could combine the two, Lord and Son of David. These multitudes could not do that. But they said, if you are the Son of David, you must come in the name of the Lord. And when they were asked, who is this man? What did they say? Well, he's a prophet. So they did not continue on learning. They said, this is the prophet from Nazareth. So how we should should understand this, this whole passage? Going back to Matthew 22. Let's go back to Matthew 22. And verses 41 to 46. Just turn the page, Matthew 22. That's where we we started. So the Pharisees were gathered together. Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. 
he said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, and that's the quotation from Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, <clears throat> how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. So how is it? Is it confusing? Or doing more research? You want to do a little more research for the next 10 minutes? Because I, uh, I discovered a few things for myself, so I'd like to share those with you. Uh, where do you think this idea is coming from? That the Messiah would be the son of David. Does it have a scriptural basis? Or was it simply a Jewish tradition? Well, we need to go back to the source. It's always good to go back to the source and read the original context which is found in Second Samuel. So please come with me back to the Old Testament and see Second Samuel in chapter 7. This is Second Samuel and then chapter 7. And these are the words of Nathan, the prophet, when he was talking to King David. Second Samuel chapter 7, and I'm reading verses 12 to 14, and then verses 16 and 17. Second Samuel, if you found it, Second Samuel 7, and verses 12 to 14. The prophet, prophet Nathan, is talking. When your days are fulfilled... And you rest with your fathers. I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Then if we drop to verses 16 and 17, it says, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. What is this prophecy about? About a descendant of David. And God said, when your days are fulfilled, you will rest your, with your fathers. But I will set up your seed. Who will come from your body? And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I, be, I will be his father and he shall be my son. Who is the father and who is the son? Is it about King David? Because God is saying that, I mean, the prophet is saying to the king that it's, it's going to come out of your, your body. But then God adds something and that might create some confusion. Because 
He said that I'll be, not you, David, I'll be his father. And he will be my son, not yours. But it's again about context. They did not read the whole passage. They focused on King David and his descendant. And then they said, God promised something that his kingdom will be established forever. Isn't that something we need to consider? That sometimes we read part of a passage from the Bible. We pick up, pick up some, some sentences because we like them. It would fit in our mindset. But we leave the rest out. And although we say that we follow the scriptures, but we practically don't do that. We follow our own understanding or interpretation. And that would be dangerous for us Adventists. If we see we are the people of the word. We should follow the word. And we should always follow the context. Well, how can we solve this trouble? Well, this is a big question. We can, we can uh, sit here and I can talk for another hour. But we don't have that time. But I'd like to call your attention to two New Testament passages that give me an understanding of how we should really interpret the Bible. And so I'd like to turn with you to Matthew first. Uh, we are in Matthew, but I mean, we are not in, we, we went back to the Old Testament, going back to Matthew first and then Luke, and I'll, I'll be done in a few minutes. So Matthew 1, let's go back to the New Testament, how the writers really interpreted this, this whole question. In Matthew chapter 1, And I would, I would read, this is a very special material only found in Matthew. And I will read something that only, is only found in Luke. Nowhere else. Matthew 1. And I would read this passage beginning with verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded. He was thinking. To put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. What did the angel say? Son of David, you are a descendant of David. And um, don't be afraid to take to you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph was the son of David, but the pregnancy did not come from the son of David. And she shall bring forth a son a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. For he will save his people from their sins. And look at the conclusion here. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, not Jesus, Emmanuel, 
which is translated God with us. And the Jews of being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name, the Lord saves Jesus. Do you know where this quotation is coming from? Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and I shall call his name Emmanuel. This is Isaiah, book of Isaiah 7, verse 14. Then let's go to the very last passage, and that's Luke. Luke has a different picture about the birth of Jesus. Luke 1, beginning with verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, so the angel is not talking to Joseph anymore, but talking to, to Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. She was a great thinker too. Um, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. With God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, a son, and shall call his name, the Lord saves, Jesus. He will be great, and he, and will be called the son of the highest. What is this? Is it not Joseph's son? Is he not the son of David? Is he not the son of Mary? He will be great and will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Who is the father then? David? Or is this angel making a reference to Second Samuel chapter 7? Could be that he was practically quoting or alluding to the words of prophet Nathan. And so <clears throat> the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Because your seed's throne will be established forever. That's what the prophet said to David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is still reference to Second uh, Samuel chapter 7. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of Son of God. 
Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Can you think about the impossible? Or you give up? You say, if it is impossible, there's no reason to think about that. But how did it happen? Incarnation is the answer. Because the new Messiah, in a sense, was a descendant of King David. In another sense, the true reality was that he came from from above. That's what John is saying. Jesus came from above. And so his father is the father up there and not really King David. But he is still Mary's son. There's a beautiful song, Mary, did you know? If you know that song, it's beautiful. And of course, there's a question, how much did Mary know? (laughs) How much she accepted by faith? And she said, I have no relationship with men. I don't know how it could happen, but God said, Don't worry about that part because with God everything is is possible. And I'd like to go just for a moment to the very last book of the Bible because that puts the roof on the top of the house. And this is Revelation 21 and 22. Just two short verses. And we need to understand something that Bible prophecies are fulfilled sometimes in a, in an overflowing way. Much beyond what we can imagine. And let's go to Revelation 21 and verse 7. It says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. And he shall be my son. The Bible doesn't say, I will be his father. I will be his God. But he will be my son. How is it? (coughs) By adoption. Adopted son. Who is that son, the real one? Is he the son of David? Or is he the Lord of David? Well, Revelation answers to this question too. (laughs) Very interesting. If you turn the page to chapter 22, verse 16. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things. In the churches, I am... And he's using this term, I am. There are many I am sayings in the book of Revelation. And it says, I am the root and the offspring of David. The bright and morning star. How can he be the root and the offspring at the same time? Is he the Lord of David? Is he the son of David? Is he both? If we were Jews, 
we would have a much easier time to understand the scriptures, to be honest. Because in the Jewish mind, mind it was perceivable. If I say this, that's true. If I say that, that's true. Then I could say both answers are true. But we live in a scientific age. And we are a rational generation. And we would say if it is black, it's black. If it is white, it's white. If it is yellow, it's yellow. If it is blue, it's blue. But cannot be both. Can Jesus be both Lord and and Son? Well, Ellen White is saying something. This is my last quotation from The Desire of Ages. It says that in taking our nature, this is page 25, in taking our nature, the Savior has bound himself to humanity by a tie that is never to be broken. Through the eternal ages, he is linked with us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. She's quoting John 3.16. He gave him not only to bear our sins and to die as our sacrifice, he gave him to the fallen race. To assure us of his immutable counsel of peace, God gave his only begotten son to become one of the human family forever to retain. And I, I cannot emphasize that enough. Forever to retain his human nature. This is the pledge that God will fulfill his word. And she is quoting Isaiah 9, verse 6. To us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. God has adopted human nature in the person of his son. Think about that. God adopted human nature in the person of his son. And has carried the same into the highest heaven. It is the son of man who shares the throne of the universe. It is the son of man whose name shall be called Wonderful. This is a quotation from Isaiah 9, 6. Wonderful Counselor, a mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Is he the Son of David? Is he the Lord of David? I think he is both. Amen.